Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Every once in a while, we got to religious people. There are 720 churches in Charlotte. I'm sure we can find one where you can stuff your face. Shut up. Quit pointing out the problem. Men will be proud, arrogant, abusive. You watch some of today's rock star pastors, and you will see every characteristic Paul listed played out in vivid detail on the church stage. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Who are big questions? You and I should ask and answer before we consume Christian art. This is Wretched Radio, the latest attempt to portray the greatest story ever told, which is the life, the death, the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ. It is on Technicolor display and in a theater near you, it is titled A Journey to Bethlehem. It is a musical portraying the incarnation, the greatest miracle of all time, where the infinite became finite to save people from their sins. It is now a musical and methinks there are two questions that we must ask and answer before we can go about the business of offering some sort of critical review. Because I think you're going to have people with subjective opinions and tastes about style of music, etc. How was the lighting in the music? All of those questions. But those to me are secondary. The primary questions should be these two. Number one, does the genre match the contents? Does the art form resemble and reflect accurately the contents of what is being told? Does a musical and one that, of all people, Brett McCracken at the Gospel Coalition basically said, this is like high school musical meets the manger. Who would have expected that from the Gospel Coalition? It was such a negative review. The title of the Gospel Coalition Review, Journey to Bethlehem and Christmas Cringe. Oh, it isn't just disappointing, it's demoralizing. I wonder where he stands on the review of Journey to Bethlehem. And he does dive into the question, at least in part, is is what is happening on screen? I'll I'll just put it this way, the same vibe. Is it communicating the same thing that the original text is trying to portray. When you consider the birth of Jesus Christ, the surroundings of it, it is a dark story. You have to remember that the children of Israel, they're in subjection to the Roman authorities. They're bristling. They hate it. Herod is clearly wicked and evil, and he doesn't want a competitor king. But when he is informed by the wise men uh, that there is a king that has been born, he craftily seeks to kill the child. And he does. He sends soldiers to kill all males under the age of two. Jesus and the family, they need to escape. They go to Egypt. This is a harrowing tale. Question? If you're going to portray that, you're the director of a film, a play, a musical, what should be the tone? Perhaps to dramatize this, this is, uh, well, I don't want to show off, but let me just sing for you a song that I wrote for a musical that I'm working on about the life of Job. You see, Job, if you recall, 
<laughs> he was a rich man, had everything taken away. There he sits in dust, in ashes, with potsherds, naked, scratching the sores on his body. When he begins to sing, if I were a rich man, wait a second, wrong musical. Hey, this is a bummer. But it could be worse, because I'm not dead. Hey, I'm not dead. Yo! Oh, that's amazing. It pretty it really was amazing. Semantic range of that word. You'd say, whoa, wait a second. The, the, the happy snappy doesn't match exactly what's going on. I remember a number of years ago, well, this will agitate somebody, uh, that there was a big band that was singing great classic hymns. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You go, whoa, 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 wait a second. That hurt. I think I was a little too enthusiastic. I've actually, do we have insurance around here? Because I think I'm filing a claim. You'd go, wait a sec. That was, that was just not matching. That Jesus died, shed his blood. It can be a joyful tune, but not big band happy slappy. And that is why I think the big question regarding a journey to Bethlehem is, does the genre, does the medium match the message? We should ask that question before we watch the movie. Now, Brett McCracken, for whatever it's worth, I got to tell you, whew, which is why if there were ever going to be a black hole created, this review might just do it. I would not have expected this from him. Is a smartphone app. I really did hurt my hands. Is a smartphone app an acceptable medium for a church service? Is Twitter a fruitful medium for theological discourse? Is a movie musical an effective genre for communicating biblical truth? Now, I would say I do think a musical could communicate biblical truth if it matched. What should be the tone of Herod's soldiers? What should be the tone of Mary and Joseph as they sing about the incarnation of their Savior? And then the question that you would then ask is, does this particular musical meet that criteria, meet that goal? Brett McCracken, woofda. Absolutely not. The film is merry and bright from start to finish. Even Herod's villain power anthem, Good to be King, is a fun flamboyant romp, such that the arrival of Christ feels less like a shocking intrusion of light into the terrible darkness and more like a dimmer switch, turning up the brightness a bit in an already lit room. Does the... Does the trends to the communicator and the communication of the message match what is being communicated. Ask that question. Then you can critique this particular movie. And by the way, the critiques are wide ranging. There are some good Christians who are saying, yeah, you know, it's, it's a conversation starter. It's clearly meant to be a, a frolicking romp of an affair. I still think we need to ask the question, is a frolicking romp appropriate considering the content of what is being communicated? Do we settle for a musical styling that perhaps doesn't match the contents in an effort 
to utilize it to start conversations, to perhaps bring unsafe friends to the movie. To me, the big question is, do they match? But that leads us to the second question, and that is, is everything that is being portrayed in a recreation, an imagining of a biblical narrative, is it actually biblical? Because if it if it is off a little bit and you and I consume it, and we perhaps file it away in the Rolodex of our theological filing system as perhaps being true, then, uh-oh, we, we could be believing things wrongly. Now, I understand. The idea is to fill in the gaps because we don't have all of the details of the journey to Bethlehem. The nativity story gave it a go. And I thought it was reverent. I thought they were trying to keep with the tone of what was going on, showing the struggle, the confusion, the desperation while they're transporting to to Bethlehem for the Savior to be born. Nevertheless, it had details. What I think Mary and the family, they were making cheese, I think. Is that what the family did for a living? Uh, I don't know. Will your kids remember that that isn't actually in the biblical narrative? What about this poignant scene when Mary realizes Joseph is really a quality guy because he's making sure that while he goes hungry, the donkey has some carbs to burn. So he gives the donkey some of his flatbread so that the donkey doesn't stumble and Mary would be hurt. Great scene, really powerful, just not in the Bible. And so we ask the question, is that a wise thing for us to consume? And I think you're I think you're going to get varying shades of it. I think it depends on maturity. But I think we should at least be asking the question. Now, when it comes to the journey to Bethlehem, there's a really big scene that's actually missing. And that is the slaughter of the innocents. Furthermore, at the end, my understanding is, that Mary is and Joseph have persuaded the son of Herod to let them go. Okay, that's that ain't in the Bible at all. But what's not in Journey to Bethlehem is the slaughter of the innocents. Instead, we see different songs being sung and Mary and Joseph acting like millennials or Gen Z people trying to sort things out. Two big questions that you and I should consider. Does the medium match the message? Two, are the contents of that portrayal beyond biblical or lacking biblical? And is it a wise idea to consume it if it is subpar? Discuss. This is Wretched Radio. I would say the Tomorrow Clubs is a wonderful ministry. Kids are getting saved like crazy, not just in Eastern Europe, but also in Africa. And it's so efficient. I was just with Paul and Cindy Marty, and I asked, and I said, in in American currency, how much does it cost to have a kid come to a Tomorrow Club four times a month? So every single week, what what does it take to make that happen? Ready? A buck, one dollar. That's it. The kid comes, they get treats. 
they get materials that they learn the Bible, they memorize a buck because it's it's all volunteer driven. All those dear ones, they're volunteers. It's an amazing ministry. And if you have a heart for the lost in Eastern Europe, Africa, and you love supporting ministries that are super efficient and biblically sound, I would point you in the direction of tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, tomorrowclub.org slash wretched, and ask how many children might I be able to support per month? All right, well, buckle up, get ready. Road Trip to Truth Season 4 is back. Host John Fabar is also back this year. But what's different this year is he has a traveling companion. Our buddy Jake Ream is joining him on the Road Trip to Truth for Season 4. And this is not going to be your typical grandma's Bible study. No, 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 no. If any of our other seasons are any indication, you know exactly what you're in store for. Hard-hitting questions, controversial topics, and a heaping dose of biblical truth. Sin, death, atheism, racism, critical race theory, you name it, they're going to cover it this season, and they're not going to pull any punches while they're doing it. Get ready, because they're going to tackle the toughest issues facing Christians today from a solid biblical perspective. Road Trip to Truth Season 4, available for purchase now at wretched.org slash four. That's wretched.org slash F-O-U-R. If you happen to be staring down the health insurance barrel and you are groaning because you're going to have to figure out what do we do? Could we change? What do we get in November when it's open enrollment month? That barrel can be removed because every day is enrollment day at MediShare. Would you please call them if you're dealing with the health insurance blues? <laughs> Please take two minutes out of your day and give them a call at 844-34-BIBLE. 844-34-BIBLE. If you're not familiar with MediShare, it's affordable biblical health sharing. Average family saves $500 per month. Average. Their ratings, high, teledocs. Please check out MediShare by calling them, finding out how much your family will save. Or you can visit MediShare.com slash wretched, MediShare.com slash wretched, where every day is enrollment day at MediShare. Know your church fathers. Ambrose was the Bishop of Milan in the 4th century and one of the four original doctors of the church. He defeated Arianism by appealing to scripture and using well-reasoned arguments. Ambrose reminds us that a faithful teacher is a blessing to generations of Christians. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Oh boy, this this could create a... Another black hole. This is Wretched Radio, uh, the University of California, Los Angeles Center for Scholars and Storytellers. They actually need to pass out two business cards when they introduce themselves to somebody because that and scholars and storytellers. When I think scholars, I think storytellers and vice versa. They did a study of adolescents who concluded uh, we don't need to see that much frisky business on TV series and the Netflix and the the media that we consume. They think there's too much of it. What in the world is going on? Methinks it's actually a very telling study. I I personally, I know speculating, but nevertheless, I I think there's an explanation for this. The, The kids are tired of seeing 
what's going on in these stories because they believe it's gratuitous. Now, I suspect it could be because they watch a lot of that already. So when they go to watch, a, we'll call it a real movie that isn't pornographic, they don't want to see more porn. But I think there's more involved here. And I think the fellow who is the co-author of the study was on to it. Quote, we know that young people are suffering an epidemic of loneliness and they're seeking modeling in the art they consume. Half of the kids say, too much. Can we just see some friendships? Could we just see a good relationship between a child and mom and dad? Could we just see something that we're missing? And I think that's exactly what is what is being revealed here. They're, they're missing human relationships. They're missing human contact. They're just absolutely absorbed in the electronic. Yes, it's not like it's not like they're on an island someplace with nobody. They do bump into other people, but that's just about the extent of it. They bump into other people. They're so consumed with consuming images on their cell phone, gaming. You're you're playing a human being that you're not in the room with. They're, they could they could be in Tokyo for all you know. That isn't relationship. And the kids are saying, oh, we'd like some relationship because we don't have it, which is another contributor to the bummed out rate. And speaking of bummed out, I got to tell you, this CNN article is about as tragic as it can possibly be. And please note, mom and dad, if you think that this particular story has nothing to do with your kids because you're raising them up in a Christian home, you need to be persuaded. They're they're feeling this. Even if they're not buying it, they're feeling it because of what they're consuming. They They are being told, hey, the world is a big, scary place. Everything is pretty much awful, and tomorrow, well, we're probably all going to die. So whatever you do, don't bring children into this world. Could it also be that is why marriage dates are being pushed and pushed and pushed because we don't want to enter into matrimony because, oh, it looks like everything is just going to be awful in the future. Your kids are hearing that, and I think it contributes to their bummed out rates. This article, we would do well to listen to what this young lady is saying and counter it regularly with our kids. And if you're a youth pastor, you need to hear this because your kids are thinking like this in your youth group. And by the way, total aside, I think I've said this before, but I'm, I'm willing to get more bold with this. It seems to me we should not have youth as youth pastors. We need mature males. That's that's what we need. And and if it's and if it's and if it's for young ladies, then we need mature women who actually have, have lived enough of the adult life to actually be able to download some, you know, wisdom. This is from CNN. It's an opinion piece. This young lady is 21 years old. Quote: If temperatures weren't rising. I'd choose the name Athena for a girl. If the rivers were safe, I'd choose William for a boy. If I could breathe clean air on my morning commute, I'd paint a nursery a warm yellow. 
If I could see hope for a sustainable future on this planet, I wouldn't be spending time mourning the children I'll probably never have. In other words, she's delivering on the premise of the headline, which is rarely done these days. Why I'm not going to have children. She's Greta Thunberg. Actually, Greta Thunberg actually read this article and meant, I think you are a little bit too exaggerating. And you need to calm it down. That's that this this woman is big into global warming and that tomorrow we might all be fried on a griddle because of human pollution. The current state of the world dissuades me more and more from having children. And my main concern is climate change. Now, please note, your kid might not buy climate change because you've told them not to buy it. That doesn't mean other people aren't trying to sell it to them. And what if, I mean, what if, what if we're going to actually fry? And what if we're not going to have enough water and grow enough corn? Maybe I shouldn't have children. Don't think your kids aren't getting this message. Don't think that. They have, they are perpetually bombarded by a pessimistic worldview. Which, which is really what's being described here. I'm 21. My near certain choice to hold off on parenthood is a commonly shared sentiment among many Gen Zers and our millennial older siblings. In other words, she thinks this is a trend. Her reason for putting it off is it's the end of the world as we know it. Thanks to global warming. Climate anxiety is becoming unbearable, she writes. Really? Un- Bearable, strong words. According to a study from the University of Bath, nearly 40% of 16 to 25-year-old participants from several countries stated that they were hesitant to have children because of climate change. That's a bummer. And your kids are hearing it. And perhaps, perhaps you've even purchased a similar narrative. Everything is... Look, bye-bye, Representative Republic. Bye-bye, any semblance of, we'll call it democracy. We're not a democracy. We're a representative republic. Even though, by the way, I just read, probably it's CNN too, that it's you, you, you fascists that refuse to call it a democracy and insist on calling it a representative republic. Um... Well, that's because it actually is. (laughs) And the founding fathers actually rejected a pure democratic system. Nevertheless, back to our young people who apparently are too terrified to have kids. Maybe you have believed a similar narrative. The economy, it's going to it's too bad. The pricing, it's never going to get better. The elections. And now, by the way, I'm I'm not indicating right or wrong. I'm just saying the, ne- the elections, they're never going to be free and fair again. Well, we'll never have anybody with a wit of common sense in high office again. Maybe we shouldn't have children. Now, please note that there might be some valid reasons in particular circumstances and settings that could lead a couple to conclude this is not a wise time. My caution is that we do not become pessimistic about the future. And even if we do, we remain optimistic about children, that they're a blessing, that they're actually a great thing. Here's what she asks in this article. How do we justify bringing children onto a planet where the future feels 
more indeterminate than ever? Well, I'd like to answer that. Number one, children are a blessing. Simple as that. Number two, that your child might actually be the one who fixes the problem. You see, because we're optimistic about kids. We're positive about human beings, about image bearers. And maybe, just maybe, if you think there's a flaw in the system, they might be the one to fix it. Furthermore, you could, you know, trust God. And four, you could believe that we human beings are not going to be the ones who burn up the planet. That's God's job. And he's going to do it on his timetable. No, that doesn't mean that we are reckless stewards of the planet. Didn't say that. But I did say that the Bible tells us that he's the one who's going to torch it. He's going to be the one who puts an end to it and starts a new heaven and a new earth. Not us. She writes, it feels like there's a weight on my chest. Woof. I've spent sleepless nights. Woof. Watching forests ablaze and communities flooded. Um, This might be a lesson. Be careful of what you consume. You will become what you consume. And what you consume, by the way, is probably delicious because there's something inside of you that perhaps bends in that direction. Be careful of constantly pouring in pessimistic views about the planet and the future and the economy. And be aware, but just be careful that you don't become, well, like this young lady. That she is so terrified of the future, she doesn't want to have children. That's a tragedy. We need to teach our kids an optimistic biblical worldview that babies are a blessing. We trust God and we know who is gonna put an end to the planet and it ain't us mere mortals. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, first up today, a troubling story out of the state of Illinois, where a Chicago public school allegedly tried to force a Christian student to participate in Hindu worship. The school took students on a field trip to a Hindu temple where they were instructed to throw flowers on Hindu altars and pray to multiple gods. A Christian student part of this field trip respectfully abstained, and her teacher, well, she berated her in front of her classmates. Good on this young lady for standing on her biblical convictions, despite the social pressure and the obvious authoritative overreach in this situation. And I, I don't want anybody to lose their job, but I would say this lady probably going to. Well, we shift focus to Germany and an even more troubling story where lawmakers have passed an amendment promoting child sexual self-determination. And even more disturbing than that is the language was drafted by a convicted pedophile. The policy would essentially give minors the rights to sexual activity at young ages. Germany continues sliding down a slippery, slippery slope. Heartbreaking news that we told you first last week, I believe, here at Wretched. Hospital officials removed a precious baby girl, Indy Gregory, from life support against her parents' wishes. 
This all happened despite pleas from the parents, despite pleas from Italy's government, and despite pleas from a Vatican hospital and concerned citizens all over the world. The life of the young woman was cut short by the state who I'm not really sure have the right to even do it. It's grievous overreach and it illustrates the dangers of socialized health care. And hopefully someone's held accountable for this. And hopefully also for this, two South Carolina women recently arrested for allegedly organizing fight club style brawls between toddlers under their care. Up to eight two and three year olds would battle, would fight while the women encouraged them to punch each other. Thankfully, authorities intervened and these two women were arrested. And finally, in entertainment news, the latest Marvel movie that stars a female lead just had the worst opening weekend in MCU history. And despite all of the heavy promotion and the woke messaging, audiences just did not show up. That suggests that maybe the public a little bit tired of all of the politicized content that override good stories. Quality over ideology always will make for a better movie. Hopefully Hollywood will get the message soon enough. And if not, they're going to lose a whole lot of money. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible. When Habakkuk saw violence and injustice in Judah, he complained to God. God promised to use the Chaldeans to punish Judah. But Habakkuk complained that they were even worse than Judah. God said that he would punish the Chaldeans after using them to purify Judah. God uses all things for his glory and the good of his people, even evil things. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Consuming Kool-Aid has consequences. This is Wretched Radio, a thoroughly depressing and yet instructive opinion piece in CNN from a 21-year-old young lady claiming I ain't never having kids. I have consumed the climate change Kool-Aid and I have been persuaded it is so bleak, it is so terrible, the future isn't bright at all, Corey Hart. You can put your shades away because it is dark and I don't want to have kids. What might we learn from this? Number one, you are what you eat. Or in this instance, you become what you drink. This young lady spends sleepless nights watching forest fires ablaze, communities flooded, paranoid that someone I know is among the casualties It causes sleepless nights. Why? Well, because she's consuming progressive Kool-Aid. I've seen my own anxieties leap like a contagion to my sister. My climate anxiety doesn't just spark feelings of fear or sadness, but anger, frustration, and resentment for a future. I've been denied. Oofta. That is some anger that's bubbling. And it makes sense. If you put a pessimistic, bleak, frightening worldview on full display and feed it to people constantly, then that's what they're going to become. And there should be a little lesson for us. What are we consuming? To think that we don't become what we consume outside of the Bible, I think is a big mistake. May I ask you, what do you watch? What do you read? What are you consuming? Because, now, believe me, I'm not equating the two in every regard. 
But the right is similar to the left when it comes to getting your attention. Sensationalized. Terrible. And most of the time, we just read the sensationalistic headline with ever, without ever even diving into the contents of the article to see if they've actually substantiated the claim in their headline. And if, and if, and if we're not careful, in some way, we could become like this young lady. In fact, I happen to know that this has already happened to some evangelicals, not because of climate change, but because of the economy, because that they fear that there is no way that this country will ever be what it was when we grew up in it. And, 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 and therefore, they don't care to do the things that the Bible says are better because they become pessimistic about the future. Does that describe you? Now, this article, it happens to get more depressing. And yet, in a way, it might help us all individually. This is, this is what she writes in this particular article. My decision over whether to have children is an example of exerting control over events that seem to be at this rate uncontrollable. I feel largely powerless within today's environmental and political climate. Um, I've got good news for this young lady and maybe you. You are. Yeah, we check a box. That's our contribution. But for the most part, are you and I going to change the climate of one degree this way or that way? No. Are you and I going to somehow cause a red wave in, in, in the fall of 2024? And the answer is no. And you say, well, now you're just being depressing. No, I'm not being depressing. I, I think that's just an honest observation. But it's not depressing ultimately because I do know the one who is in control. And I do know what his character and his nature are like. And, and, and I do know that he is going to be the one who does everything perfectly in his grand plan to bring glory to his beloved son. Every single thing that he is doing contributes to that narrative. And it is good. And I rest in that. Because if I don't, if, if, if I think that... Oh, I'm, I'm just, everything is really bad. Oh, the future is terrible. Well, I'm probably going to stall doing some of the wonderful things that God has provided for us, like getting married and having kids. Furthermore, I might get bummed out because, oh, I can't do anything. Well, biblically, that's right. But you can be faithful to God who does control everything. So I'm not going to get bummed out. I'm not going to get... Look, we're wa we all watch the same stuff. I understand free and fair election dangers. I got it. What, what's happening on the, on the national level, the all of it. And if I'm not careful, I will have consumed some pessimistic Kool-Aid. I, I, I've got to be aware of this stuff. With, without getting depressed by this stuff. Because I don't hold the future in my hands, but I know the one who does. Jimmy, I think that's already been tweeted about 10,000 times right there. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's not get bummed out. Let's just be faithful where we are and do what we have been commanded to do. And that is pretty clear biblically. In fact, I have to tell you, just last night, I decided to read through First Peter again. 
I, that book, I'll tell you, 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 you could make the case that every book in the Bible is particularly poignant at, a, at this stage in, in the, in the, the I was going to say evolving of the planet, but then Ken Ham would get really mad at me. The, 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 every book applies to now. But First Peter just resonates these days, doesn't it? Because it's in the context of really bad government and really bad people who are running earthly institutions. And you can't escape it. The first chapter and a half, just be godly. You've got a great inheritance. Don't be freaked out by these things. Be a witness. Be a bright light in a dark society. That's what we're supposed to do. Love one another. Speak well of one another. And when you are persecuted, respond differently. Be be amazing in your response that they ask you about the hope that lies within you. And it teaches that it teaches that to slaves who have even bad masters. Be a light. That's what you be like Jesus. That's what you can do. And the world's gonna want to know about it because they can't get it. We're we're all dark in our hearts. Why is it that you aren't cursing us back? Why is it that you're not trying to 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 kill us, even if we want to kill you. We can do those things. We're called to those things. We're called to be God's witnesses, not Jehovah's witnesses. That's some, that's a different type of witness altogether. We can, we can do those things. Perhaps this article will challenge you to that end. This is from the Christian Post. It's written by a woman, Denise Grace Gitcham, G-I-T-S-H-A-M showing up in the political arena as a disciple of Jesus. She's, she, she is a political talking head. She's involved in politics. I think she served in government. So she, she's not saying don't do politics, but she's saying do it as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That, that we, we aren't dualists. We aren't Christians when we're with Christians, and then we enter into this realm and we, we leave our Christianity behind. Instead, we're Christians everywhere we go. And I thought that there were some things in here that were a little bit convicting, quite honestly. She said, a few years ago, the Holy Spirit convicted me of engaging in partisan politics as a blood sport rather than as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I realized that the way I did politics created division that hurt rather than helped the church and our nation. If if I might stop, if if um if that's happening in your church and you're involved in it, might I lovingly encourage you to stop it? That that people aren't seeing everything politically exactly the same way you do. Now I'm not talking about the life issue, I'm not talking about marriage, sexuality, I'm talking about all the other stuff. If if you're causing division in the body. You need to stop because you're being a factious person. Two strikes, you should be out. She writes this, rather than standing for kingdom principles, I fell for partisan politics, which fueled division in our pews and polling station. So she came up with a new framework for engaging with love, compassion, and respect without ever compromising the truth. That ain't easy to do, but we're called to that. That is clear. This isn't a strategy for changing the world. 
This is what we're called to do so that God changes hearts and eternities. There's something even bigger afoot, even as we discuss, dare I say, debate politics, and it is the salvation of souls. That's what God is after. These other things aren't irrelevant, but God is after the read first Peter for yourself. And and it it, it will just you'll be like a speed bag. It's like, okay, okay, I get it. We're supposed to be a sacred, set apart, kingdom of priests who are a light to lighten the entire world by the way that we act. That's what we're called to be. And God uses that to accomplish his ends. And they are glorious in our sight, or at least they should be. This is Wretched Radio. So you aren't convinced of the importance of training godly men to rightly divide the word of truth in churches internationally? Well, then we'll let Paul Washer convince you. You have to support men who are elder qualified proclaimers of the word. When we support a man coming out of TMAI, we know not only that he is properly trained, but we know that he will still be supervised. Would you please join TMAI, the Master's Academy International, in advancing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through expository preaching in local churches around the globe. It's a magnificent ministry, and it's so important. Please consider partnering with TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Thank you for supporting indigenous pastors around the world. Hey, thanks for joining us here on Ratchet Radio today. Yeah, you, I'm talking to you. I know you care about making a difference in the world. And you know what? You already have. Your generosity has helped us to bring the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to millions of people all over the world. But here's the thing. We need your help to continue standing firm and reaching even more people. We would love for you to prayerfully consider joining us as a monthly ongoing Wretched Gospel partner. I'm not going to beg you. I'm not going to plead or anything like that and make this real uncomfortable. But what I am going to do is remind you that Philippians 4.1 tells us to stand firm in the Lord. And that's exactly what we're doing at Ratchet. We're standing firm in the Lord by sharing his love with the world. And we want you to stand with us. So what do you say? You want to join us in this mission? I promise you, it will be worth it. And who knows? You might even get a crown or two out of it. Thank you for considering becoming an ongoing monthly Wretched Gospel partner. You can find out more at wretched.org slash donate. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. I believe in a culture of life. One of the most impactful moments of my life was when I heard the heartbeat of my oldest daughter uh, in my wife's womb and then saw the sonograms of all three of my kids. The sonogram or the, the pictures that are taken of babies, still a profoundly helpful tool, which encourages me to encourage you to consider supporting Preborn Ministries. Preborn Ministries and their network clinics, they are giving away free ultrasounds to women, but they do cost something. It's $28 an ultrasound. And just as you heard Governor DeSantis say, his view of life was profoundly changed when he saw the baby in the womb when you see the form and the shape and the fingers and the heartbeat would you please consider supporting preborn it's a great ministry of life it has a high anthropology shares the gospel with women and with the dads preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched 
of Christ. In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called the heir of all things. All things were created for Jesus. When Christ returns, all creation will be given to Him. And as our mediator, He makes us co-heirs and will share all things with us. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Well, let's see if Jimmy agrees with me, shall we? Nope. Uh, Too soon. (laughs) Just a touch. This is Wretched Radio. I guess we're moving on then to the next story, which... You sure you maybe don't want to consider what I'm what I'm pitching? Because otherwise you're going to have to hear about comedian Rob Schneider converting to Catholicism. Oh, yeah. no. No, he didn't. Yeah, actually, he did. Oh. He turns 60. Ouch. That hurts just a wee bit. I remember Rob when he was he was just kind of a whippersnapper. It's great to be here in Southern California. Southern California is where the word dude comes from. I've watched the word dude develop over the years. It's turned into a word kind of like the Polynesian word aloha. You know, that's more than just one meaning. You can use it to say hello to people. Dude! It's also used to mean listen or come here. Dude! But its most important meaning, though, most important is you blew it. Dude! It can also mean are you in the closet with a knife? Dude? (laughs) I remember working with him. Now he's 60 and he's a Roman Catholic because of his wife. That that is that's not unusual, is it? He said that he was angry at the people who shut down the schools and indeed the world and coerced others to do things against their will. I offer my unconditional forgiveness and amnesty. That sounds Roman Catholic, right? That sounds pretty papal right there. So maybe he's genuine with his conversion. Speaking of the Pope, you sure you don't want to hear me out on what I have to pitch to Come. see if we have agreement? Yeah, let's let's hear it. No, no. We're we're too deep into the Roman Catholic thing. <laughs> You're gonna have to beg me. <laughs> I don't know what I just pulled, but I think it had something to do with passive-aggressive without the passive part. This is from the Pope himself saying that we need a paradigm shift in theology for the world of today. Paging contextualization. Paging almost, not exactly, but standpoint theory. Hey, based on the time we live, based on my experience, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says what it says. And it applies to you no matter what you are. Male, female, tall, short, funny, dull. Makes no difference. Your standpoint means nothing. Furthermore, the century in which you live means nothing. You say, well, well, doesn't the Bible speak to those things? Absolutely. But those things don't translate or inform the Bible. I interpret the Bible in the original meaning to the original audience, then I can create a principle and apply it to my 21st century context. I do not let the 21st century tell me what the Bible ought to say. But that's precisely what the Pope is encouraging, a paradigm shift. 
that takes widespread engagement with contemporary science, culture, and people's lived experience as an essential starting point. Whoa. In order to deal with profound cultural transformations, you see, we're, uh, we're being abandoned by the times. We don't have the influence we once did, so we have to change our holy book. That's what the Pope is saying, to make those more su- suitable for the mission that our time imposes on theology. Nothing imposes on theology, not even the Pope, not even the 21st century world, not Marxism. Now, I just, I just happen to mention that in the context of the Pope, but I'm not suggesting anything about the Pope and Marxism. Quote, theology can develop in a culture of dialogue and encounter between different traditions with different knowledge, between different Christian confessions and different religions, openly engaging with everyone, believers and non-believers. Well, then, that uh, <laughs> that smells like universalism, which, by the way, you know this if you're a Roman Catholic, it is a universalistic religion. Other people outside of Christianity, you believe, can go to heaven. Pope Francis said Catholic theology must experience a courageous cultural revolution to become a more, quote, fundamentally contextual theology. In other words, he's turning the Bible into Gumby, which, by the way, Jimmy, Uh was a character on Saturday Night Live. Uh And Rob Schneider was on Saturday Night Live. Rob Schneider's becoming Catholic. Uh, and the Pope is Catholic. And he's offering forgiveness to anybody. Last Catholic story, and then we'll just wait for Jimmy to grovel. Transgender people can be baptized Catholic and serve as godparents. That mm-hmm. would come from the department, the Dicastery of the Doctrine of the Faith, apparently affirmed by Pope Francis. Transgender people can be baptized as long as there's no risk of causing a public scandal or disorientation among the faithful. In other words, contextualize your rules for baptism. There you have it, Jimmy. Please tell me the story that you want to tell All me. All right, Please, let's just... Tide. Okay. I'm groveling. I'm groveling. You're not very good at it. <laughs> Let me share with you what I see happening in too many churches. Um, in a sense... We've adopted a Rob Schneider attitude. Not that we're going to become Roman Catholic. Nope, didn't say that. But did you hear what he said? I was so angry at the people who shut down the schools and the world and coerced others to do things against their will, which hurt many people deeply. Yep, we've seen it, haven't? We're still seeing it. Are you kidding me? And it 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 can cause us to be angry. Now, remember, anger can be righteous. So if you're doing that, rock on. But let's be honest, sometimes it can be less than righteous. It can just be anger. And maybe just maybe, and we'll see if Jimmy agrees with this, you have perhaps brought that into your church and you've aimed it in a particular direction. This is my my observation. This is just based on my general reading of Christian stuff and in talking to enough Christians who go to good Bible-teaching churches— who are feeling some stress because there are some who are insisting that the pulpit match their level of anger or outrage or conviction sounding convictional on these subjects. And because he's not, 
they're going about the business causing trouble. And might I suggest to you that if that describes you, um, you you got to check yourself. You got to check yourself. You feel passionately about this stuff. I join you. We all do. And please note, here's the asterisk. We're not talking about the life issue. We're not talking about marriage, sexuality, what they want to do to children. That, that has no place inside of an evangelical church. We need to teach those people who perhaps haven't pondered the issue of life and Imago Day. We need to teach them. And, 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 and if they can't change their opinion about that, it, it needs to be addressed, I think, more strenuously. Than, than just, well, you know, so they think that you should be able to abort a child up until the second it's born and maybe a week afterward. Now, it has no place inside of a church. But I'm not talking about those issues. I, in fact, I'm not even going to list issues that could be the, the source of this um, challenging pressure that's being put on a pastor to be really firm on this stuff. I suspect he shares your convictions. I suspect he does. But your pastor has other considerations. Your pastor has other dealings going on. Your pastor has particular people in mind. Furthermore, how we respond and how the pulpit is used, um, that's up to the pastor who's in the pulpit. And, and if, you, if you can't sit underneath his biblical teaching because he's just not being rah enough on these issues, might I encourage you to check it at the door? Keep your passions, keep your convictions, but, but don't bring that into the church to challenge the pastor and to stir up dissension. You know, the pastor, he just keeps preaching out of Matthew. When is he, go- when is he going to get to this? Doesn't he know there's an election coming up? We got to, we got to, you know what? We need to talk about this in small group. Please, please don't do that. But bring your concern directly to the pastor. Share with him how you feel about these things. Do your best to persuade him, but ultimately, got to submit to him. If you if you don't think that he's doing it right, and if you can't if you can't do that and get along inside of your church, then maybe maybe you do need to find a more muscular expression of evangelicalism. But but don't do that to your pastor, especially if you've met with him and he's explained himself as to why he's doing what he's doing. We don't we don't need that kind of fracturing. Jimmy! Okay, I agree. Do you think that's a trend? I, I think so. I really do. Yeah. And if you're a part of that trend, might I encourage you to examine yourself and stop it? Indeed. <laughs> and until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs> <laughs>